Well, good morning. Uh, the day after Christmas, 2004, you may remember there was a major tsunami that formed in the Indian Ocean and caused unbelievable devastation. A few days later, we see this report in the Wall Street Journal. In the days immediately following, a proper picture of the real dimension of the disaster was strangely slow in reaching the world beyond. At first, those of us who lived far from the region heard that thousands had perished, which seemed tragic enough. Then in subsequent days, the number of the dead began to be reckoned in the tens of thousands. And then finally, in hundreds of thousands. And the true horror of what had occurred became in some small measure appreciable for us. As I write, the most recent estimate is near a quarter million. And when images of the aftermath began to appear, they seemed too dreadful to believe. Films that caught those caught amid the flood clinging desperately to poles and railings and occasionally losing their grip to be torn away by the fierce rush of the water. Satellite pictures showing where whole islands had been laid waste, villages swept away, the earth stripped of vegetation, and photographs of long stretches of coastline strewn not only with wreckage, but with countless corpses. A great many the corpses of small children. I don't know about you, but I almost forgot about that, 2004. I think we can get a picture of this macro disaster. Villages, coastlines, utter destruction. But can you imagine those micro tragedies of a mother clinging to one child with one arm, another child to another, and that child being sucked away by the torrent? How, how would you get over that? And the question for today how could God allow that? And if you're a Christian, how can you believe that there's a good, loving, all-powerful God and stuff like this can happen? You still hold these together. Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I know there's two groups in here. You know, we're talking about our big question series. And many of you brought friends, maybe uh, friends that don't uh, claim Jesus, uh, uh, any allegiance to Jesus, or maybe just his moral teachings. Maybe you come from a different faith or no faith at all. And I'm so, so glad you're here. And today I want you to get a bird's eye picture of a family conversation. How do we as children understand a good and loving God allowing something like that to happen? So my encouragement to you, as you get to look in, Look in honestly, look in truthfully, weigh what the Bible says and decide for yourself. But know this, you too have to answer this question, the question of why is there evil and suffering in the world? Whether you're a Christian or a Muslim or a Buddhist, a secularist or an atheist, you have to answer this question. And my suggestion to you is that the message we see in Scripture made clear in Jesus Christ is the only answer to this question of why there is evil and suffering. So I want to do, uh, I want to uh, speak in two parts. The first part, I want to talk academically, philosophically about the existence of a good, 
all-loving, all-knowing God and the existence of evil. That'll be the first part. The second part is, okay, if you believe in God, what do you do? How do you respond to evil and suffering? So the, the core idea is this. God alone has the answer to the question of evil and suffering. Yet, he gives us a pathway to respond. Before we get in, let me pray for us. Oh God, Lord, you are God. We are your children. Your ways are high and lofty. We recognize we are limited. But nonetheless, this question is always before us. Why? Why? Lord, today, for those who are not convinced of Jesus and his claims, Lord, would they be honest with themselves and look at their own answer to the question? And those who are convinced, who do trust in Jesus, Lord, help us to have greater faith. May the words in Psalm 22 encourage us so that we can respond in a way that produces good. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Today after the service, about tw- at about 12.15 and also after the 6.30 service, I invite you to come. We're going to have a Q&A. We um, don't really uh, have all the time to address everything about the problem of evil in 35 minutes. Um, so I invite you to text questions on the screen. And if you're able to, to stick around, it start about 12.15, an informal Q&A after the service today. Now in talking about this question... Uh, maybe you've heard an argument about uh, the existence of evil that says, you know, you can't believe in God and still, uh, can't believe in an all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful God and, and, and still recognize that there's evil in the world. You'll see, you'll see this argument articulated on the screen. It's called the logical problem of evil. It says basically, the existence of evil proves that it is impossible to have a God who is all-loving, all-knowing, and all-powerful. Thus, God has either to be either not all-loving, he's wicked, he's not all-knowing, maybe he doesn't know about stuff, uh, or he's not all-powerful, maybe he wants to do something but just can't. Thus, the God of the Bible cannot exist. Maybe you've heard that, that, that argument. You know, that's an argument that's been articulated um, most clearly in the uh, 1700s by a guy named David Hume and then distilled in, uh, by a philosopher in the 1950s named J.L. Mackey. And this question dumbfounded many Christian and secular philosophers. And can the God of the Bible really exist? Well, Mackey's argument prompted a guy named Alvin Plantinga. Alvin, it sounds like a, uh, a chipmunk gardener. That's what it kind of reminds me of. <clears throat> so in the 1950s, he began his work in philosophy, and he committed and devoted his teaching to this question. Can God exist with evil? And in 1974, he pr- published a book, short book, called God freedom and evil. And at that moment, the tides completely changed in philosophical uh, arenas, both Christian and non, about this question. Basically, his book showed that you cannot honestly say that the existence of a, bib- a all-loving, all-knowing, you know, all-powerful God, a biblical God, 
and the existence of evil, those are somehow incompatible. No, those can be compatible. And virtually no atheistic, uh, secularist, or Christian philosophers um, would, would, would honestly say that. That has kind of been put to rest. And his argument goes something like this. God created humans with free will. That means that humans can decide to either do good or do bad. Some humans chose to do bad things and evil results. God could have a good reason to make humans free. And that good reason could outweigh the presence of evil in the world. We humans simply don't have enough knowledge to say that it is impossible for good to come out of the existence of evil. So his, his free will defense, it's, it's, it's not a proof of, but it's a defense of this concept. It's, it's basically like this. Free will plus possibility for the greater good plus our, our limited human knowledge means the biblical God and evil can both exist. And for his work in, in uh, God, Freeman, Evil, and a few other areas, he was awarded the 2017 Templeton Prize. It's a prestigious prize awarded to Mother Teresa, Desmond Tutu, the Dalai Lama, and Billy Graham. So in the academic circles, this question of God and evil coexisting, it's kind of been laid to rest. But I don't know about you, but, you know, like Plantinga, love the guy, um, very important. It kind of it gets me here, but maybe not right here. It, it, it maybe convinces my mind, but it doesn't really move my heart. And maybe you're there too. So, okay, well, the, God possibly could have done this, but what about the abuse I experienced as a child? What about that infidelity that I was faithful and she wasn't? What about that death? What about that diagnosis? What, what about our infertility? You see, God alone has the answer to the question of evil and suffering in our world. And you know, he doesn't really tell us a lot of the details. But, but, he does give us a pathway to respond. And that's where these two groups in this room, the convinced and the unconvinced, that's where we begin to diverge. Those who believe in Jesus, we're gonna look at Psalm chapter 22. It's a song written by a man named David who's a king of Israel. This gives us a pathway to respond to the evil and suffering when we experience in our lives. But those who are yet to be convinced of the truth of Jesus, this is where you have an opportunity to look in and think, are these people just crazy or is there something to it? So if you have your Bibles, look with me, Psalm chapter 22. And this is David writing a song about his experiences of evil and suffering in his life. Starting in verse one. <clears throat> My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. 
and by night, but I find no rest. So here's David. He's being raw. He's being honest with God. And I want you to notice verse, uh, verse one and two, they're honest, but they're not accurate. Why have you forsaken me? Well, God has not forsaken you. Why are you so far from me? God is not far from David. But what God wants us to see is that first step in the pathway to responding to evil, evil and suffering is that we first look up to God. We look up and we do that honestly with every emotion that's coming through our hearts, everything that's boiling out of our lives, we go straight to God in honesty. You see, I got a, I got a secret to tell you. Whatever you're feeling in your heart, God already knows. So when you feel like God's abandoned you, when you feel like he's so far from you, what God is saying here is come to him with those feelings. Pour out your heart. Be honest. Be vulnerable. Be raw with God because he can handle your emotions. You see, in our culture, we have this skewed view of emotions. Either emotions are this ultimate thing that controls everything about your lives and whatever you feel is right, versus the other side is we just got to stuff it deep down. Emotions are bad. We should never feel those things. No, the, the, the true view of emotion is that they are good, but they point us to something. We shouldn't be controlled by our emotions, but we need emotions to move us in a direction. And what God is saying is your emotions to move you in the direction of God. Go to him immediately when you're experiencing pain and suffering because he can handle it and he wants you there. You see, look with me at verse seven. See, th- I'll tell you, this is where I have fallen um, in error. When I think about dealing with pain, evil, and suffering, it says, all who see me mock me. This is David saying. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. You see, David is beginning to pour out his, after he's pouring out his, his heart to God, he's also looking out and, and sharing this with other people. And you know what David's getting? Some theological treatise. They make mouths at him, wag their head, come on. You know the Bible, you know theology, God's gonna deliver you, don't worry. Come on, get, kind of pick yourself up by your theological bootstraps, you know better than this. But what God is saying is the first step is you have permission to be honest with him to open up your heart and your life to him. And you know what? When people come to you who are dealing with evil and suffering, your first response is to listen, not to start checking off theological boxes. Now, I promise you, we're serious about theology here at Cuyahoga Valley Church. But we'll see, eventually, David gets to the right theology. But what God wants you and I to know is when you experience evil and suffering, those emotions should cause you to look up, look up to God. The next step we see on this pathway to respond to evil and suffering that David does, he looks up and then he looks back. After being raw and honest with God, he begins to think, you know what? God's been faithful in the past. 
He's been faithful to my parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, to my people, the people of Israel. He's delivered them out of Egypt. He's parted the Red Sea. He's given them manna from heaven. He provided, like, like they walked around this city seven days and tooted some horns, and then the walls fell down, right? God's been faithful to my people. We see it in verse three through five. He says, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. And then he begins to think about his own life. You know what? God's been faithful to me. Look at me, verse nine. Yet you are he who took me from, my, from the womb. You made me trust at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me for trouble is near and there is none to help. You see, David begins to look back on his own life, God's provision, his emotional provision his relational provision, his physical provision throughout his life. And from his vantage point now, he's like, oh Lord, thank you. <laughs> I was speaking with some, Deborah and I had another couple of, we were speaking with some friends and I don't know how it came up. We were talking about like, um, like old, um, like boyfriends and girlfriends from back in the day and like the cannonball we all dodged by those relationships not working out, you know? <laughs> Right, because if you're married, you can, you know, at this vantage point, you can look back on previous relationships and be like, oh Lord, thank you for your blessing and kindness for the goodness. But back then, if you're single, now, if you're single today and you're going through a difficult breakup, it hurts. It's painful. It's frustrating. But you know what? God's been faithful to you in your past. He's been faithful to you and protected your life and protected you so you can be at the place now we can grow and become a deeper version of who you are in the midst of this pain, that pain and suffering. So the second step we do is we look back on God's provision in our life and realize, you know what? God's there. He's, He's here. He is faithful. Now that's why it's so important to be part of a local church where you will hear stories of what God has brought people from and through. And you get to hear those stories, learn from their life, and not have to go through that pain and suffering. I tell you what, sometimes, and then I think it's easy even for, for people who are in a relationship, even a meaningful relationship, where you, in weak moments, you begin to look back and think, oh, what? Maybe God isn't faithful, but then you begin to see other stories and think, my goodness, he is so, so faithful. That's what we have the privilege and the confidence as we walk down this path, as we respond to evil and suffering. And that's why if you're not in a life group, you are missing out. You are missing out to hearing these meaningful stories. There's a couple in my life group that I told Deborah, uh, just last week, they have been the biggest encouragement to me probably since I've been um, in life groups at CVC since we've been here. And it's not because of um, 
their deep knowledge of scripture, but how God's provided for them and just like move them along. Or we're hearing, we're hearing them pray out loud and thank God for their child. And it just swells me with joy. So if you're not in a life group, you are missing out. So here we see David. He's grappling with evil and suffering. He looks up to God in honesty. He looks back upon God's provision and kindness in his life. And we see in this poem, something changes in David's heart. There's a shift in perspective. There's a shift in the use of language, the verb tense that he, do, that he uses. Look with me in verse 19. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. And here's the turn. Here's the turn. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild ox. You, you have rescued me. This verb, you, uh, rescued, is most often translated answered. You have answered me. You have answered me by rescuing me. You have rescued me by answering me. But there's no indication from this song that his circumstances changed. Quite the opposite. It, what it seems to be saying is that the circumstances are the same, but his perspective has changed. Why? Because David begins to look ahead. He begins to look ahead at the future home, the future life, and the future promise that God has provided for David. And you know, God has provided that same thing for you. You see, when we experience evil and suffering, we look up to God in honesty. We look back to God, remembering his kindness, and we look ahead in hopeful expectation because we have promises Promises that God will never bring back. He will never renege. And one of those is found in Romans 8, 28 that says this. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. But I will be honest with you. So, so Romans 8, 28. You know, you, you know, I've seen them on like coffee mugs, you know. You know, you pour, like you pour the hot water and like all things work together and then like for good appears, you know. This is very often slapped on a coffee mug, but I tell you what, it's not something you just get. It's something that's worked into you. You see, it's not like today's April 15th. I understand that. I know that. Snap. Okay. It's, it's in there. Or even we talked about planting his argument. Okay, I see where you're at. Yes, that's correct. This is something that God needs into our lives. And he has to press it into our lives. And daily, hourly, we have to think this, live this, believe this, and ask for help at the same time. It reminds me of Jesus' story, the story in the New Testament. It says, the, the one's coming up to Jesus, and he's saying, heal my child. And Jesus says, or the man says, I believe. 
but help my unbelief. If you're here this morning and you grapple as a Christian with evil, the existence of evil and suffering and a loving God, you're not alone, but you gotta let God work that in your life. And you do that by consciously going to him. I look up to you, God, this is what I'm feeling. I look back, God, you've provided in my life and I look ahead in hope and expectation. One day, every tear will be wiped away. C.S. or uh, John Piper says this in a book, Future Grace. He says, bygone grace, past grace, is the foundation for faith in future grace. This past grace is God's down payment on the fullness of future grace. And God has promised that for followers of Jesus, there will be no heartbreak, no more evil and suffering, nothing but our good. And C.S. Lewis says this, they say of some temporal suffering, no bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven once attained will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. You see, David understood this because he started talking about things he could have never experienced himself. Look at me in verse 30 and 31. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, saying, he has done it. And in a few verses earlier, he's saying, the people who are saying, he has done it, that's every nation every tribe, every language throughout the world that are coming to worship together and coming to worship God. David did not experience this. But what is happening is that David is looking ahead. By God's grace, he's seeing a vision of the future. That one day God will wipe every tear away no more mourning, no more sadness. All these weapons, all these weapons of warfare, they will be used for good. He's talking about spears will be used to prune trees because they're so fruitful. But I know many of us are still thinking, well, okay, is that all I have? Just a hope for the future. Why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't he do something with the evil and suffering? The good news is he has by sending his son, Jesus Christ. He saw the mess we made. It moved his heart and he sent his most treasured possession, his one and only son to live the life we should have lived, to die the death we should have died, to be pinned on a cross to be agonizing of thirst, to be pierced in his hands and feet and his side, to have all of the pain and suffering that we've caused onto his back and he paid for it. That's the depth with which God has gone to remove evil and suffering. And and we are in this period Already, but not yet. 
Jesus has already defeated evil and suffering, but it has yet to be removed. As a medicine, takes time to work out. So what do we do? What do you do? What do I do? We have hope and joy and glory that we don't have to pay for the evil and suffering that we've caused. All of us have done wrong. All of us have caused pain and evil and suffering, even to our, our closest loved ones. And we deserve it. We deserve the evil. We deserve the suffering. But what happened is Christ took it on our behalf. Look at me in verse 14. This is David writing, but this is the experience of Jesus. He says, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot sheared. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. You see, how could someone experience this suffering and respond in joy, respond in hope? Well, that's what Jesus did on the cross. Hebrews 12.2 says this, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus Christ, as he experienced evil and suffering, he is both our model and the fuel. He is both the destination and how we get there. You see, the pathway to respond to evil and suffering is you receive Christ. You ask and repent and believe, saying, Jesus, take my sin. Take the evil I've caused. Take the suffering that I've doled out to the people I love and redeem it. Lord, turn my trial into a testimony for your grace. Turn my sin into something I can sing about on how God has brought me from it and through it. You see, what David is saying is that the experience you are living through, and many of you as a pastor, I know you're dealing with some major stuff. But what Jesus himself is saying is that when you follow the path that I've laid out, that suffering that you experience, I will turn to good. And one of the ways I will turn this to good is that all the peoples of the world will worship my son Jesus. What that means, it's, there are some in this room who are struggling through terrible pain and suffering. And he, God will use your story to bring someone to faith in Jesus Christ. If you let him. He will turn the trial that you are dealing with into a testimony where you can proclaim God's goodness to the, those that you love closest to you and throughout the world. And there are some of the, us in this room that your story of suffering will be used to bring someone into faith who has never even heard the name of Jesus. 
before. All nations. Are you willing to let God use your trial and turn it into a temptation? Are you willing to walk this hard path of look up, look back, look ahead, just like Jesus? And are you willing to submit your life and receive that type of joy? That's what Christ offers us. That's the pathway through evil that we respond to evil and suffering. And I know for many of us, it's still a struggle. There's, I, I make no pretension that you're going to walk out of here saying like, problem of evil and suffering, no bigs, right? It's all taken care of. But I do want to speak to those in this room who consciously say, you know, I'm unconvinced. God, he should still do something. He should still deal with the evil and suffering in our world. Because that, I don't believe in it. And I, I respect and I, I want to honor that view. But if you're going to call God into account, I think it's also fair for God to call you into account and say, what will you do about the suffering you've caused? What will you do about the evil that you've caused in people's lives? What is your response? In a moment, we're going to have the uh, team come up and sing a song. And for those who are convinced, those who believe in Jesus, I want, we'll, t- we'll stay seated and I want you to just hear these words sung out. And this should be the joy and the strength that we receive from knowing that one day God will turn everything wrong back to right. And for those who are yet to be convinced, I want you to sit in that question of what will you do about the evil and suffering that you've caused? What is your response? And I want you to think, is Christ, is the message of Jesus Christ, does that make sense? And I want you just to be honest with God, whoever you believe God is, and say, if you're real, move in my heart and show me who you are, and I believe he will. So as the team sings, just stay seated and just dwell on the words. You know, you ask, you know, how would God use this instance of evil for good? I, I, I can't give an answer. But why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But that's what Christ offers us. He offers us faith, forgiveness. He offers us protection, a future, a hope. And this morning... If for the first time, even in the singing of the song, you felt your heart move, you need to make a decision to confess your sins, repent of your sins, and believe in Jesus. Because in relationship with Christ, your future is promised. Every tear will be wiped away. So even with your eyes open, you can say even in your heart, God, for the first time, I'm convinced. I'm convinced that your son died on the cross for my sins. I receive forgiveness and I want to live a new life. I give my life to you. If you truly mean that, then your future is secure and all things work together for good.